Hello and welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Dalitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and as always, here with Richard Hill. Yes, hello, Matt. I am here and with great pleasure uh, continuing our uh, series with uh, talking about the Holistic Recovery Summit. And uh, there's fascinatingly interesting people. How yes. is it that I don't know everybody in the entire world? Um, <laughs> and I'm so grateful for these opportunities. So we've got we've got someone... I I just uh, think this guy's particularly interesting. Tell us yeah. about this guy. Yeah, so we're going to go across and talk to Eric Zimmer. Now, he's a behavior coach, certified interfaith spiritual director, podcast host, and writer. And uh, he's also got a lived experience of addiction, which we'll hear about, um, which is really interesting. And, of course, you know, he's going to be a speaker at the Holistic Recovery Summit. Yeah, it's it's just great to to hear people who've come out uh, from the experience themselves. They know it from the inside out. Uh, but uh, let's just have a word now from uh, Niall at the Holistic Summit. If you're interested in deepening your understanding of addiction and how best to treat it, you might want to check out the Holistic Recovery Summit. This is a free online conference which brings together 35 world-leading clinical psychologists, researchers and practitioners who will share with you their best practices for mind, body, social and spiritual approaches to addiction treatment, enabling you to be at the forefront of evidence-based care. With a lineup including Stephen Porges, Janina Fisher, Ian McGilchrist, Pat Ogden, Anna Lemke, Stephen Hayes, Richard Schwartz, and 28 others, this really is a once-in-a-lifetime learning opportunity. The best bit is it's 100% free to attend live and you can do so from the comfort of home. You'll also be able to upgrade to your recordings and certification pass after registration, although this is entirely optional. For more information, please check out the sign-up link in the description. Eric, hi and welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, and Richard here as well, of course, uh, and it's it's quite fascinating to to have you in the lineup because we're, we're we're sort of so interested in what the holistic summit is doing that we're doing these little little sort of uh, additional podcasts uh, for people to check it out. But uh, I was immediately drawn uh, to you, and I'm so glad that you agreed to come on because we get a lot of theoretical frameworks, and we get a lot of people who are great heart and uh, uh and and generous about the work they do but then we don't always come across those that have come through the lived experience so i come from the inside out not just uh not just the generous outside in and so uh, giving that sort of opening that door can you just give us a little background of what uh, uh that's comfortable for you to share about uh, what brought you into this space now and the the, the bit of the journey that you've made Sure. I mean, the, the the sort of condensed version is at 24, I found myself a homeless heroin addict. Um, I was, uh, I weighed about 110 pounds, which is um, about 35 pounds less than I weigh now. So you can imagine I probably look like a skeleton. Mm -hmm. um, I had hepatitis C. I was... Um, potentially staring down some pretty long jail sentences. Um, and I more or less run my life into the ground. Um, I was able to get sober at that age. I mean, it, I, I, 
it was not my first try at it, but after a few tries, I eventually was able to get sober. I stayed sober about eight years. And then I began to drink again, um, drink and, and smoke pot. I never went back to the heroin. And after about maybe four years of that, uh, I realized even though I was not homeless, I was making more money than I'd ever made. I had a good career. I'd just been promoted. On the outside, everything was good. I knew inside I was just as sick as I had been. Um, and so I got sober again, and that was 15 years ago. So, um, so that's sort of the, the very short version of, you know, a couple different stints in addiction. Yeah. That, that, that first time when you sort of, you picked yourself up out of heroin addiction, I mean, did, did someone help you lift you out? Because it's very rare that someone will, you know, just by themselves get out of that sort of addiction. Oh, I, by, by in no way, shape or form did I do that on my own. I mean, I was, um, I went into a, uh, long-term treatment center. I went into a halfway house. I went to more 12 step meetings than you, you, anybody should probably ever go to. Um, I, I don't think most people are going to recover from a serious addiction alone doesn't mean you need to go to 12-step programs. It doesn't mean you need to go to rehab. It, I mean, there's lots of options and, and alternatives out there today that simply never existed in 1995 in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and I think that's a really good thing. But I generally believe most people, I won't say all people, but the vast, vast majority of people, particularly if their addiction has progressed far enough, are not going to find their way out alone. It's too much. Yes, it's interesting. We seem to be able to take ourselves down the uh, the rabbit hole on our own. And in <laughs> fact, the you know, the argument is that when we're on our own, that's what allows us to see the rabbit hole. But it is pulling us, getting ourselves back. We're, we're, we're supposed to be a, a cooperative sort of, well, I suppose we, we use the, 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 the jargon term of a co-regulating species. Mm -hmm. but, um, but that realisation uh, that that I need help. Is that, how difficult is, is that? Cause you've, you've done it twice. Uh, how difficult? I, you know, I think different people have different thresholds for that. It's really hard to say. I mean, we, we can't speak of addiction as if it is that everybody is the same, you know? Um, I know people who, you know, their ability to ask for help is so stunted you know, that it's kind of, I'm always like, I don't understand what's so hard about this. Like, I mean, I know it's not comfortable, but for crying out loud, you're going to die. Like, mm. right. And, and, you know, and then there's other people who seem to be like an open book, you know, at, at this point. I mean, for me, the process was one of recognizing over time, I'm not, this isn't working out on my own and being willing to do more and ask for more help and receive more help. You know, and I think that's the way for a lot of people in recovery. It's most people don't suddenly go, oh, I have a problem with this and I'm going to, I'm going to try this and then it's, it's over most people are going to go through some process of, well, maybe if I just don't drink whiskey, but I only drink beer and maybe I'll only do it on the weekends or, you know, heroin's a terrible idea, but the, you know, pot, what's wrong with marijuana, right? It's natural. Um, 
and we go through that bargaining process and then we then we are like oh well maybe i need to you know t- share with my friends that i have this problem or i'm going to join i'm going to get on this app on my phone i'm going to join this facebook group right and and you know depending on what you need you, you may find that but my experience was i just would would try something and it didn't work and then I would come back a little bit more beaten down and I would be like, all right, they said to do A, B, C, D, and E. I did A last time. All right, this time I'll do A and B. Until finally for me, I kind of hit a point where I was like, all right, just tell me what to do and I will do it because I was really pretty beaten. I don't think you have to get to that point. I don't think that's required, um, but some amount of willingness is required and some amount of willingness to do things that make you uncomfortable is going to be required. I mean, addiction in many ways is the ultimate inability to be uncomfortable, right? It's the, I don't feel comfortable, so I'm going to go do this thing. That discomfort may be very different from person to person. And and the thing that they reach to may be very different, gambling versus drugs versus, you know, um, you know, a, a phone addiction, if, if we even think that's an addiction, right? And, um, but this idea of um, being willing to kind of just keep trying the next thing, you know, and being uncomfortable because you're going to have to be uncomfortable to get sober. And that speaks a little bit to why it's so hard to do alone because so much like for me, the constant thought was, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this because alongside trying to be sober was a constant screaming voice saying, use, 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 use. Right. And what worked, what was helpful for me is I was able to look at other people who would say, I felt just like you feel. And I got through it. You can too. You know, we talk a lot about bottoms for addiction. You got to hit your bottom. And there's truth in that statement that truth in that consequences are important, right? You, you, nobody gives up something you love as much as your drug of choice if there's not real problems with it. But at the same moment, I think we also need hope to appear in equal measure. Because I hit bottom again and again and again and, you know, didn't think I could get sober. I mean, a couple of the darkest times in my life were after I'd gone to treatment and I came out and I was like, I did what they said to do and I can't get sober. I'm going to die this way. Once an addict, always an addict. Those are dark places, right? So, So the bottom wasn't enough. It, it was important. It was, it was in one of the essential elements, but the hope had to be there too. And when those two come together, I think that's pretty fertile soil for recovery to grow. Right. And what about the role of shame? Um, because I get the impression that a lot of unwillingness to get help um, comes from a sense of shame. What, what, have, have you had that sort of experience um, of the shame element? Oh, I, I think every addict does. I think it's, I think it's part, it's almost by definition, part of the thing. And it's a, it's a, you know, I like to think of upward and downward spirals and it is the ultimate downward spiral, which is, I don't feel good about myself. So I use, and then I feel worse about myself because I just used or what I did when I used or what I had to do to get the money to use. Right. So now I feel worse than I did even yesterday. And I couldn't even cope with how I felt, how bad I felt yesterday. And now I'm feeling worse. What am I going to do? I'm going to use again. 
right? And it is a downward spiral that, yeah, I mean, and yeah, shame is, shame is crippling and shame will stop us from seeking help. It's part of the reason I don't fully agree with the AA 12-step model of, and the medical thing that came around where addiction is a disease. I'm not sure that that quite makes sense to me. I don't think it's important to unpack, but it was a huge step forward from its immoral failing. Hmm. Yeah. Right. It was a huge step forward from this is a moral failing because that's what every addict feels. And that's what in general, our society would tend to tell us, you know? And so, and that's the other thing that community can do is it gets rid of the shame. It can help get rid of the shame because someone else is like, I did, you know, you walk into, you know, one of the things we do in 12 step programs is you, you do this thing called a four step where you write down, it's called uh, fearless and searching moral inventory. You just basically write down all the terrible stuff you did, right? And then you go tell someone else. And most people are absolutely out of their mind, terrified to do that fifth step, to tell it to someone else. Now, as somebody who has heard countless other people's fifth steps, I almost am always like tempted to laugh a little bit because I'm like, of course you did. We all did that. Like, I mean, like you don't want to laugh at somebody's deepest secrets, right? But there's a lot of laughter in recovery. And that laughter is because we see each other and we go, oh, I'm not the only one that did that. Oh, you did that. You thought that you felt that you stole from your mom also, you know, like, yeah, community can help heal shame. It's an important element of it. And healing shame is important thus in recovery yeah it's, it's interesting this aspect of uh, of how we manage and how we we cope with and interestingly the the crocodile dundee film with famous australian paul hogan and the, the the big knife and out shooting crocodiles but there were a couple of bits in there that were absolutely fantastic bits of psychology and sort of human behavior studies uh, because he was uh, in New York and being asked, you know, do you have a, do you have a, oh, he met a psychiatrist. He said, oh, you're a shrink. And uh, and he said, yeah, well, do, do you, do you talk to shrinks? He said, oh, no, back in our town, we just uh, tell Wally. And then Wally tells everybody else in town, then everybody knows. And then it doesn't matter anymore. And <laughs> that, that anonymity. Gonna go. That's great. Yeah. But just, it's a beautiful, I think, a simple segue now from there you are, you've experienced this, you've been the the the, the sharer in AA, but you moved into this area of wanting to share more, of wanting to do do work directly. And so you, and it's, it's I think you, you, it's called coaching, um, but it's a lot more than that. But you work with people, you work with uh, organizations, you work all kinds of places. Uh, tell us a little bit about the now the the positive side of what's come out or the or the productive side that's come out of all these difficult experiences. Well, I mean, I think that's a real turning point for people in recovery, and it's part of the reason it's one of the core things that twelve step programs got right, which is that when you suddenly can turn your difficulty into something that helps someone else, it now has meaning in a different way. And, and 12 step programs give that ability to absolutely everyone. You don't have to go off and start a podcast and do the sort of things that, that, that I have done over time. And I did not do that stuff in the beginning. I mean, most of my recovery, I was just, you know, quote unquote, an, an ordinary guy 
in in 12-step recovery who sponsored other people and went to do a normal job and 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 all of that stuff over time though i kind of you know i grew in different ways and that led me a decade ago to start this podcast called the one you feed um and and i did that you know really in the beginning um for me i had owned a solar energy company that i had shut down it, it, it had kind of I mean, I guess it failed um, or was going to fail if I, you know, and, and I was kind of heartbroken. I had poured my my heart and soul into it for five years and I didn't know what was next. And I just got the idea to do the podcast. And my best friend is an audio engineer. And I was like, you want to do this thing together? And I just thought it would be good for me. I was in a bad marriage at the time. And, um, and then out of that, you know, has grown you know, the coaching work that you talk about. I don't do as much one-on-one -on -one coaching, but I I run a series of group programs. I do a fair amount of, uh, um, I teach at different retreat centers around um, the U.S. I, I speak at, at, at different events. I do the podcast. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that certainly grew from what I learned in AA, which is that I'm happiest when I am talking with other people about things that matter. Like that's just, I knew that I, from the first time I sponsored anybody in AA, I, I loved it. I just knew, like, I love doing this. Um, and so when I started coaching, I was like, oh, I know what this is. Like, I wasn't sure. Can I do it? I don't know how to do it. Like, I'm not trained to do it. I'm not, you know, um, and and I, I did it and I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is. And I love doing it. And I actually think I'm fairly good at it, you know, humbly. Um, so, yeah, all that stuff just kind of evolved over over time. Um, but certainly I don't, you know, I think it can be a fallacy to think that in order to our lives have meaning or purpose, they have to be this big thing. You know, again, somebody who's in AA two weeks will see someone who came in the door with one day and to the person, you know, to the person who has one day, someone like me with 15 years, you might be like, oh, get whatever. I don't even understand what you're saying, but somebody with two weeks, you're like, holy crap, I can't get two weeks how'd you do it? Right. And now that person who has two weeks has got a chance to share with someone else. And now their suffering is imbued with meaning. And, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, obviously addiction is a, a very broad spectrum of, of things that we're addicted to. Um, is there uh, sort of a number of uh, things that are, you, know, you encounter the most um, is it sort of you know alcohol or other other sort of drugs? Just interested in, in just in your in your world. I I would say not. I mean, because even the the discussion about what what constitutes addiction, you know, um, there's even debate about whether that term is entirely makes sense. Is it you know is it is it you know substance use disorder? Right, all of these things are on a spectrum. You know, can you be addicted to your phone? I don't know. I mean. You can be addicted to gambling. I mean, there's no substance involved there. You know, is shopping an addiction? So, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously in the US, we, there are way more opioid addicts than there ever used to be. You know, when I was doing it in 19, in the early 90s, it was, I mean, nobody did it, you know, like it, you know, I, I was able to think I was pretty cool in those days for, for doing it. I was edgy. You know, now it's like it's freaking everywhere. Um, and so there's way more opioid addicts than there ever used to be in the U.S. Are there more people with substance abuse problems? I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I think the circles you run in are going to dictate that, right? Like mm -hmm. when, 
when I when I worked in a, a, a professional capacity in the software business and at a sort of a higher level, right? Most people that I'd run into had a problem. They had a problem with alcohol because that's that that's that class's drug, right? I mean, around the states these days, I mean, marijuana is legal all kinds of places. So now all of a sudden, tons of people, you know, there's more of that. So I don't think there is a, a prevalence. I think it just would depend what angle you were looking at it from. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean it's a, it's a it's an interesting aspect. I I saw uh, talking uh, a discussion a little while ago, and I, I kind of attuned to it because I sort of have in my way of thinking as I look at nature, nature tends to have uh, a, 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 an organizing sort of way of doing things, and then we kind of take it in a good way, or we take it in a, a way that's that's unproductive. So. So they were saying, uh, you know, being addicted, being having your focus of attention on something uh, and getting having a, a heightened focus of attention, uh, they said because you could get addicted to your to love to your to the love of your partner, you can get addicted to your kids, you can get. They said, but it's these. Um, it's when you. It's when we get the disconnection. So this is where they they were talking about that addiction is actually. A, a, a supplicant for sort of connection and 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 relationship. One hundred percent. I do yeah. think a lot of addiction is about connection. Mm. It is our inability to feel connected any other way, or the connections that we have are so fraught with pain and trauma that we the only way to handle them is is through addiction. I mean, I would say with me, it it certainly felt like. I felt kind of dead inside. And so addiction for me, mostly, at least in the beginning, made me feel connected to and interested in life. Now, as my addiction went on, as shame continued to grow, then I began to have to escape from the person I had become. And so it became more about, about that. But, but yeah, I mean, again, as I said earlier, addiction is kind of the ultimate inability to handle discomfort. You know, it, and that discomfort might be the deep pain of disconnection, you know, yeah. not feeling connected to the people around you, feeling lonely, feeling different, feeling shameful. Right. Um, but yeah, I do think. And, and and so connection is at the heart of it and and reconnection with ourselves, with others, with with meaning and purpose and all those things is is a key part of the path out. Yeah, the, yeah. the 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 one you feed, yeah. the one absolutely. you feed, yeah. absolutely. Um, we'll we'll be talking to Dr. Oliver Morgan uh, later today, and and definitely he, you know, talks about addiction as an attachment um, disorder, or at least you know there's a mm. there's a seeking for attachment there, um, yeah. which is very yeah. core. Mm. Look, I, we're, I we're, see that, yeah. Yeah, we're sort of coming to a, a, a bit of the end of our time, Eric. It's so much fascinating stuff. Uh, is there something that we've uh, that, that we've missed, or would you like to just give us a little, just a little roundup, or or a little final statement? Uh, because we know that people are going to be able to see you and and many others at the, uh, the at the holistic summit. So, um, what can we what can we nicely wrap ourselves up with? Um. You know, I mean, maybe I would just end on this idea that we've we've hit it on a little bit before, but that I think addiction is a really multifaceted, multivariant, multi 
caused thing, right? And so, you know, there's theories that addiction is an attachment disorder, which I'm sure there is a there there are kernels of truth in that 100%, or maybe some are. Other people say it's a learning disorder. Uh, you know, that we know that it's a you know people who have experienced high levels of childhood trauma are way more likely to be addicted, right? So it's this it, to talk about it as if it's one thing. I think is to misunderstand the nature of the beast we're working with you know it really is you know countless causes and conditions you know and everybody's is going to be a little different and there's going to be some core commonalities also um i think the hope in that the 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 way i would tie that back to hope is that there are lots of different ways to get into recovery these days the world is more full of options than ever before. And we used to say in AA all the time, keep coming back. And what we meant was keep trying, keep trying. And I would use that, I would use that phrase and I would not say it for AA, like keep coming back to 12-step programs, although you might do that, but keep coming back. Like recovery is possible. It just is a process of figuring it out and getting the getting the puzzle pieces all right, you know, because there there might be a lot of different puzzle pieces. But I firmly believe that there's never been a better time in life to have the the tools and resources presented to you to find recovery. And I'm I'm excited to be part of the summit because I think this summit is doing a great job of bringing so many of those different approaches and tools together. So I think that's where I would end. Fantastic. Well, certainly looking forward to to hearing more of what you have to say at the summit. And Eric, thanks for dropping in and saying hi today. My pleasure, guys. That was fabulous, Matt. Yeah. Um, and so erudite. I mean, yeah. he, he's he's obviously talked about this for a long time, but yeah. he's a wonderful speaker, a wonderful yeah. uh, advocate for uh, the humanity. Uh, of yeah. what he's gone through that was That's that was very enjoyable I, I can't wait to hear his uh his uh longer longer talk with Niall that's right and his last point too um just once again bringing up this um fact that we're dealing with complexity you know which I I think is a, a recurring theme that we're hearing now which is which is great so I mean and it's one thing to say things are complex it's another thing um, to to really understand, you know, the complexity of what we're dealing with as therapists and and how to navigate that, which yeah. we're exploring. It absolutely is. It's to me, it's one of the most important sections of our book and uh, and yeah. of other people that do talk about that. Just just how to change your way of thinking into uh, understanding the complex system rather than the linear process. Although there's lots of linear processes, you know, you take a you take a drug, you take a, a thing, and boom, you know, become addicted. So, uh, really, really interesting stuff. Uh, and so he'll certainly be there as a part of the summit. Uh, check out the 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 summit pages and uh, to find out what the schedule is uh and we hope you you learn the the differences and get a feeling for the fact that the person who comes into you may be a very very varied and very very unique perhaps in the way yeah. they've arrived at their place absolutely well thanks everybody for joining us here on the science of psychotherapy and we'll catch you next time bye for now